This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 38. And if you're using your pew Bibles, that can be found on page 894. So it's John chapter 8, verses 12 through 38. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I just judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name is Will Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross Church. And man, this has been a really fun book to work through together as a church. If this is your first time here or you're just checking this place out or you're here in your family for baptism, we have been systematically working through verse by verse the book of John. 
We believe here at King's Cross that when we preach, we don't come to the Bible with an agenda and let the Bible fill in our agenda, but we open this book and see God's agenda and we proclaim it to the world. That's what we believe here. And so that's what we've been doing. And uh, last week we were in John, uh, the, the end of, or the beginning of chapter eight. And Orion spent a lot of time talking about textual criticism and it was a really fun sermon. And I have a resource for you that I want to point out. And if you want to look at this later, I can, I can show you. This is an incredible book, uh, more on what he talked about last week. It's called Scribes in Scripture. And it is the historical way, the amazing story of how we today got the Bible that we are preaching from this morning. It's a super helpful resource. I wanted to point that out to you this morning as we work our way back into John. And this passage is amazing because it actually sets up the next two weeks. So if you're here and you're like, man, I got to know what happens. Good. Like, come back the next two weeks because next week we're going to finish chapter eight. And just as Jesus has been doing all throughout this book, he often will say something that seems provocative to the people around him, to the religious leaders, to the Jews following him, to the people in the crowd. And then he does something astounding to back it up. He, he tells them a message of truth and hope and all this stuff. And some people are like, what are you saying, man? And other people are like, this is the truth. And then he performs a miracle that summarizes it. And it is incredible. So you'll have to wait a couple weeks to get to that part, though. So come back. It's my shameless plug. Before we get into that this morning, and you may have even picked up on it in the tone of the scripture reading Jesus is frustrated with these people. He's frustrated with those listening to him. And we have to have a conversation this morning about statistics before we get into the passage. Because in statistics, we, we use statistics to draw conclusions based on a set of data that we have. And Jesus is frustrated because they're not listening to the stats. They're not listening to the stats and you're like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, I, to, to help you understand Jesus's frustration as Kansas City citizens, most of you, uh, I wanna share with you like why Jesus is frustrated. So last weekend was a, Memorial, memorial, memorious, memorable day. Thank you, wife, my beautiful wife. It was a memorable day. The Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Bengals, right? Yes, it was a good day. It was a good day. Yet since that game, there's been nothing but controversy if you're online. If you're not online, God bless you. You're better off for it. Like you don't want to see it or hear it or whatever. But there's been a ton of controversy. And yet if you're a faithful Chiefs fan, all you have to do, I'm giving you tools right now. Like these are apologetics for being a Chiefs fan. All you have to do is open the stat book and say, no, 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 no. Look, on paper, by the rule of the law in the NFL rule book, that was not a hold at the end of the game. It wasn't. It wasn't. His feet were outside. We could talk about it all day. It was not a hold. Several penalties. You can go to the rule of the law and look and by the stats prove that the Chiefs are the AFC champions. Amen? Yes. It's, it's, it's undoubted, okay? But here's the problem. Other people who are not Chiefs fans, and if that's in the room, God bless you. We'll pray for you. <laughs> Hey, we, we believe in, like, we'll get charismatic. We'll lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, and maybe you'll see the light. But, but listen, many people see those exact same stats, and because of their emotions, because of their bias, because of whatever they're bringing into the room, they look at those exact same stats, and they say, it was rigged. It can't be real. The Chiefs cheated. Everybody wanted them to win. And as a Chiefs fan, you're like, man... It's been a while since we got some help from the officials, so I think we're at least due if we did get help, but <laughs> preach. 
But because of their emotional bias, because of what they brought into the room, they look at those same exact stats and they do not see what we see. And that is all Jesus has been saying to these people. He's like, listen, the stat sheet on me is pretty perfect. It's perfect. And here's what I mean by that. Everything that I have done has fulfilled the prophecies that you guys should have memorized. Talking about the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they should have these, these things down. They should be like, oh yeah, he's doing this. He's doing that. He is the Messiah. And because of their predetermined bias, emotional, whatever they brought in, expectation, fear of loss of power, they're like, this guy can't be him. <laughs> he can't be him. And so this is a conversation where Jesus is poking the bull a little bit and he's like, I am him. Let me show you. So let's pray and jump in to chapter eight, verse 12. Father, we love you. This is a wonderful day. Lord, your word is true. It's good. And this morning it will accomplish everything you mean it to. It will not fail. So open our ears, please. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Let us be changed forever. It's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so it's helpful. We do this a lot. We're gonna do a tiny bit of history here. It's really important to understand because everything Jesus has done so far in John is tied to the history of the Jewish people and what they've been going through. So, so far we've seen uh, them at the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths as it's, as it's named. And this feast, they would set up tents in the city, all across the city. And it would be, a, uh, it would be basically trying to remember back to when they were wandering in the wilderness and God's said, hey, you need to build some booze. I'm going to provide for you everything that you need in the middle of this barren wilderness. And God provided the people with manna. He provided them with guidance in the pillar in the sky, and he provided them water. And so this entire festival is pointing to that moment. And they would do certain things. So they would build their booths, even to that day, uh, thousands of years after the wilderness. They would set up these booths. They would camp out. They would feast all week. And the people of God said amen to that, right? Like, that would be fun. Let's do it. Uh, they would also have a water ceremony, reminding them that God not only provided manna for them in the wilderness, but he also provided for them water. Moses was hitting rocks and water was coming forth, right? Like, it was amazing. They had water. They had food. And then the lighting ceremony, which would happen at, at least we know at the beginning of, or the end of the first night, many think at the end of every night of the festival, there was a place called the Court of Women and there was these giant candles that they would light every single night and it would be a reminder of the pillar of fire in the sky that led them through the wilderness. And so far what we've seen, you talk about stats, is Jesus walking around and saying, all of these things point to me. They all point to me. I am the bread of life. Remember? And then, and then what did he do to show it? He fed 5,000 people on basically nothing. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one. Howard talked a few weeks ago. I am the living water. I am the water out overflowing. You will never run dry of my living water. And then this week, how does he open? How does he open this bad boy? All of his activity thus far has been pointing to him being the Messiah. He was a virgin born child, born in Bethlehem. Both Mary and Joseph are in the lineage of David. All of this is pointing to him being the Messiah. Here's what's even more fascinating if you're like, okay, 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 this is in the Bible. 
I've got some secular history for you. People that were secular historians at the time who did not follow Jesus, who looked at the same data and were like, we don't know how to explain this. This is wild. Here's some things. I got seven of them. It's like a church thing, so we got to go with seven. First, Josephus, who was a historian in Lucian, indicated that Jesus was a regarded as a wise teacher. Second, Pliny the, uh, Pliny, the Talmud, and Lucian imply that he was a powerful and revered teacher. Third, Josephus and the Talmud indicate that he performed miraculous feats. These are people that have no clue. They don't give a rip about Jesus, and they look at what he did, and they're like, hey, he did some stuff that we do not understand. Miraculous feats. Fourth, Tactus, Josephus, and the Talmud, and Lucian all mention that Jesus Christ was crucified. Tactus and Josephus say this occurred under the governor Pontius Pilate. The Talmud declares that it happened on the eve of the Passover. There are references, fifth, to the Christian belief in Jesus' resurrection in both Tactus and Josephus' writings, where they're like, hey, we thought he went down in the grave, but now people are seeing him. We're seeing him. We got to write this stuff down. We don't know how to explain it. Sixth, Josephus records that Jesus' followers believed that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. And finally, both Pliny and Lucian indicate that Christians from that day forth worshiped him, not just as a good teacher, not as a prophet, not as a guy that did some cool party tricks, but as God. As the one and true God, Jesus made himself known historically, personally, and many missed it. Many missed it. They didn't see it. And the people that should have seen it, the people who studied this book harder than anyone in this room has ever done, they missed it too. They missed it too. And so we find ourselves in the middle of all that, and Jesus says, in the core of women where they're lighting candles, he says, folks, I am the light of the world. This light ceremony is about me. I'm the one that provides everlasting life. I'm the one that provides the manna, the, re the, the, the nourishment for your soul, the water for your soul. I'm the one that will, like the pillar of fire, guide you in the wilderness of your life. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. All of this stuff that you've been celebrating for so many years, it points to and refers to me. It's a pretty, pretty provocative claim to all these people. But once again, like everyone besides a Chiefs fan, they came in with emotional bias. They just were blinded to what they wanted to, they had what they wanted to see in front of them. And so they respond to him in verse 13. They say, the Pharisees say to Jesus, <clears throat> you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I who judge alone, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, where is your father? Once again, missing the point completely. Where is your dad? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. 
These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We don't get a lot of time to spend on that. You see that a lot in John. His hour had not yet come. If you watch The Chosen, they do that in hilarious ways. He's like, hey, we're not doing this right now. And he just walks out of there. <laughs> They're like trying to kill him. And he's like, not today, peace. And he just leaves. Okay, so he's, he's offending them. But they, they're questioning Jesus' authority. They're like, hey, man, you can't just say that you're the light of the world. By whose authority do you say this? And so Jesus, like the Pharisees have done this whole time, they're trying to poke him with like little pieces of the law from Deuteronomy. They're like, hey, you got to do this. You got to have two witnesses. In Deuteronomy 19, it says, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of his iniquity or sin on which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. What's funny here is they're like pulling references from Deuteronomy that are for conviction and death and murder. It's like in their heads, they're already like, we got to get rid of this guy. Let's pull a law that has nothing to do with what he's teaching about. But you know what? We can, we can convict this guy. We can get him. We got to get rid of him. And so they're pulling like different laws. And so Jesus flips it and uses it against them. And he's like, hey guys, you're wrong. You have no idea where I come from. You talk to me like you know where I'm from, but I know where I'm from and I know what I'm here for. I know what I'm doing. You don't know where I'm going. You don't know the mission I've been sent for. You don't know who sent me. And yet you're claiming some kind of authority. You're very confused on my father. All of this is going on. And we're like, okay, we don't understand that. So because we're in this mode, let's go back to the chiefs for just a minute. It's helpful to understand. Okay, so imagine this with me. If Patrick Mahomes walked through that door, first of all, all of you would be guilty of the sin of idolatry. <laughs> I guarantee it. But if he walks through that door and he says, I'm not going to do a Patrick Mahomes impression. <laughs> Woo, that would be bad. I almost did it. But. And you know what? That's sanctification. That's good. That's a step in the right direction. Um, if Patrick Mahomes walked in that back door, though, and said, hey, King's Cross, be at rest. I've been talking to Andy, and I'm playing. I'm starting this weekend. Like, I, I've got this. We'd all be like, yep, we know. Awesome. This is what we expected. This is what we hoped for. This is what we know is going to happen. But bear with me. I know this is ridiculous, but just bear with me. If Chad Henney walks in the church in the back of the room, and he says, hey, guys, I've been talking to Coach Reed. And this Sunday, I am going to start in the Super Bowl. <laughs> this coming Sunday, I'm the one that's going to put the team on my back. And we know anything is possible, all that good stuff. But all of you know are like, would be like, wait, 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 wait. This can't be right. You're lying. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're Chad Henney. You're like 50 years old. Like, there's no way you can do this. And he would, he would probably say, hey, like, none of you are in that locker room. You have no idea the conversations I've had between Coach Reed and myself. You have no idea the practices that I've run this week. You would not believe the ADR bombs I've thrown. And you have no idea that I have been told by the coach himself, I am starting this week. And Patrick's like, yep, you got to do it. And we would just be like, no, 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 no. We would be in denial. Why? Once it begin, because our emotions, our bias, what we expect and what we hope for are not being met. And Jesus is like, man, you guys don't even know my father. Because if you knew, if you truly knew my father, if you knew him, then none of this would be confusing to you. If you knew my father, you would see me and you'd be like, he is the one. His disciples saw him. Many of them saw him and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the one. This is the Messiah. They knew the father. Not because they were the smartest in the room by me, any means. Most of them weren't. They were just tradesmen. They couldn't make it in little Jewish boy school. But they saw him. They knew the father, and so they knew the son. 
they were following him, but these religious leaders with their bias, they run into him and they're like, it can't be it. You have no authority. By whose authority do you say this? And by the way, they're saying this after all these miracles he's performed. And they're not just rumors. It'd be hard to have rumors with this many witnesses when he's at a wedding and like all of a sudden all of the wine runs out and we're like, what do we do? And then the vases that were full of water become great wine. It's like, okay, that's one. And then we see people getting healed. We see blind people seeing. And guess what? Spoiler alert, we're going to see some dead people get up out of their grave and walk around again. It's coming. And yet they continue to look and say, this can't be the one. This can't be him. This can't be him. And so they continue to question. And, and he said to them, he's like kind of shifting the conversation. He's like, okay, I'm going to go away a while. Verse 21. And you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so the Jews being confused, you know, they're just so locked in. They're like locked in, but they're missing everything. And they're like, he's going to kill himself. Is he going to do that? Like, wh why does he say you can't go where I'm going? Like he's, he sounds like he's going to commit suicide. By the way, Paul said something very similar in Philippians. He transitions the conversation from his authority to what he's actually coming here to do. He's hinting at what he's about to sacrifice and how he's going to defeat sin once and for all. But they continue to be blind. Verse 23. He said to them, you guys are from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he being the Messiah, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, who are you? How in the world are these guys not? Who are you? <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the very beginning. Do you get the frustration? Do you get the eagerness for them to hear? I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world from what I, I heard from him. Verse 27, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father, capital F, Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority. I'm not just here doing my own thing. <clears throat> I'm not here on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, and many believed in him. He again, Jesus is emphasizing his origin. He's like, listen, I know where I come from. You guys don't know where I come from. I come from the Father. And they're like, well, who's that? And he's like, come on, come on, guys. If you knew this Father, you would know me. All these things are pointing to me being the Messiah. But then he says, when you guys lift me up, when the Son of Man is lifted up, then you're going to get it. The cross, in other words, will be the great awakening for many. It will be the great awakening for many. And for those of us in this room who do believe, it was the awakening for us. The cross is the awakening for many. D.A. Carson says, by this, John is not saying that all of Jesus' opponents will be converted in the wake of the cross. But if they do come to know who Jesus is, they will know it most surely because of the cross. And even those who do not believe stand at the last day condemned by him. 
whom they lifted up on the cross, blinded to the glory that shone around them, yet one day forced to kneel and confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord. And when he said this to the people in the room, some of them, it says, believed. Some of them leaned in. Now we know from the future conversation that the word believed here doesn't necessarily mean like, okay, we're in where your disciples were following you, but they did lean in. They were like, okay, something else is going on here. Let's pay attention. Some of them were getting it. Some of them were understanding a little bit. And so he goes on, verse 31. If you abide in my word, Jesus said to those who believed, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham, and have, you, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Hey, if you're a reader of the Bible, this is hilarious. It's hilarious. How could they say, we're offspring of Abraham, we've never been enslaved by anyone, says the people that were in slavery for so many years. We've never been enslaved by anyone. Okay, in this generation, maybe... But they just, they, they're missing it. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly. It's like his phrase, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains in the house forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words, and listen to this, they find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Whew. Which, man, I don't want to step on Orion's sermon next week, but that father, the second one isn't capitalized and he's not a good dude. Your father, it's the devil, spoiler. <laughs> your father. <laughs> he says, I know what I speak because I know I came from my father, but the, the mouth that you're speaking, the words that you're speaking with come from your father, the father of lies, the father of lies. This is biting. He turns his head. Jesus turns his head to those who are leaning in a little bit. They might believe, and he sets up a paradigm to further distinguish. And this is what he's done all throughout John. He's been trying to sift those that are following him just for the show, just for the entertainment, just so that they can see cool things, but not actually believe. He's trying to sift those people away to the people that are like, this is the Messiah. This is the Lord of all. This is the one who came to save us. This is incarnate God in the flesh. We know that this crowd wasn't fully seeing that. And unfortunately, there's a sad reality that we must face as well, that there are many who say with their mouths that they believe, but in life, especially here in the gospel of John, we need to be left wondering if their faith is genuine. If it's genuine. So far, Jesus has been met in this conversation by nothing but blindness, nothing but confusion. But for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, Jesus says, this is what my disciples are going to look like. If you want to know if you're a follower of me, you're not just here for the show. You're not just here for the games. You're not just here for the crowd. You're not just here because you think like I can do this and it's going to make me good with God or whatever. Like for the people that understand and see and hear and know who lay down their life to follow, this is what their life will look like. 
Three, three big things. Keep it short, right? Three. First of all, he says, true disciples abide in the word of God. Abide in the word of God. Matt Carter says the litmus test of a true disciple is one who continue, continually abides, who remains, who perseveres in the word, in the Bible. You can glean even more about this. We mentioned this in verse 37 when Jesus says that the word isn't contained in them. It's not contained in the person. Another commentator says, you want to know how to find a true disciple of Jesus? Cut them open and the Bible bleeds out. Cut them open and the Bible bleeds out. It's the same word that was used earlier in John when he's talking about the, the wine that's contained in the vessels. Is the word, is the life, is, is the true wine, is the, the blood of Jesus, is that in you? Do they bleed the Bible? And this means that over a lifetime of the true believer, we should see a remaining in the word, a persevering in the word. Will there be seasons of dryness? Inevitably, right? Inevitably, there will be seasons of hard dryness. But does the greater picture of your life, and this is a question that I'm asking you to ask yourself right now, does the greater picture of your life look like someone who has remained in the word of God? who has persevered in the word of God. This is a life that is not just filled halfway like the baptistry was when we got here this morning. It's a little stressful, right? Hey, it's a great picture. This is a life that's filled to the brim. That's not just filled to the brim. Howard was talking about this last week, like the living water fills us up so much that it doesn't just sustain us, but it flows out into the world. The light of the world is in you. It flows out in, into the world around you, filled to the brim. It's impossible to contain the treasures within. It means that every action, thought that you have as a believer is seeking to conform to scripture. Abiding in scripture, as one author writes, means that we take a much longer term perspective on things. We aren't seeking the immediate, instantaneous results. We understand genuine faith is proved over time, but false faith flickers and it dies. It's easy for us to focus on instant results. We love this, right, in the Western culture. Instant coffee, instant pudding, instant news. But the Christian life is not lived in the instant, but in the eternal. Anyone can follow Jesus for a day, he says, but a genuine believer will follow him for a lifetime. He or she will hold tightly to his words and never let go. Never let go. So one, true disciples are those who abide in the word of God for a lifetime, for a lifetime. And not only do they abide, not only do they contain and persevere in the word of God. Secondly, true disciples discover that truth lies in the word of God. You want to talk about something that's under attack in our world today? It's truth. It's truth. Everywhere we turn in our country specifically, truth is on the grinding stone being molded down into where it means nothing anymore. What's your truth? What's your truth? What's your truth? There is no the truth anymore in our world. True believers look at this and they say, no, 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 no. This is the truth. It is true. It is true. Everywhere we turn, we're under attack. But as disciples who abide in the word of God, genuine reality will be revealed to you genuine reality. And the truth of the matter is that reality is sourced and centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, 
if Jesus, as he says later in the book, is the way, the truth, and the life, then apart from him, we will not find truth in this lifetime. Paul warns Timothy of a day coming when truth will be swapped out for, and this is a paraphrase, things that make us feel better about ourselves. The truth of this world is going to be swapped out by stuff that's like, no, 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 like we don't need that. We need the stuff that makes us feel good. You think that day's close? Maybe. I think it's right here. I'm confronted with it every day. Swapped out by things that make us feel better about ourselves. Tell me that day is not upon us. The gospel confronts us here. And for those who hear it, gosh, it is life for you. It is life for you. But for those who reject truth, for those who reject the son, they will remain in blindness and ultimately condemnation. True disciples abide in the word. True disciples are, are, find truth while abiding in the word. And finally, true disciples who abide will also find ultimate freedom. Ultimate freedom. You won't find it anywhere else. The hearers of this message, this, listen to this, this is fascinating. They're so locked in on what Jesus is saying. He is delivering. The people that leaned in, they looked in, they said, okay, what are you saying, Jesus? He's like, listen, if you follow me, you will be free, free forever. It's the best news they could ever hear. And yet they get defensive. They get defensive. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. He's like, gosh, like you're not, I'm giving you good news and you're crossing your arms. You're throwing up shields and saying, get away. Like, no, 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 wait, wait, that's not. He's like, listen, you will be free. You will be free. Don't be defensive. It's true that this generation of Jews wasn't in slavery technically, but gosh, Rome was an oppressor, right? But what Jesus is saying is that all of humanity, not just these people, these children of Abraham, all humanity, all that includes every single one of us in this room at one point in time, all humanity is enslaved to sin. All of us at one time bore the weight and the chains of sin and death. But Jesus was offering right then and there, and he's offering to you, if you would hear me today, freedom, freedom. If you abide, if you continue, you will see truth and you will experience freedom that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will experience that freedom. Apart from Christ, there is no truth. And apart from Christ, we are hopelessly locked down by the power of sin in this world. And Christ is saying, you don't have to do that anymore. So as a believer, we can walk around and say, yes, if I sin, because we do, right? We're on this side of, hum on this side of glory. We still are tempted by the power of sin. But as a believer in Jesus, we are set free. And if, if we choose that sin, we choose to walk back into slavery. But he's saying, you don't have to do that anymore. Before me, you have to make that choice. You have to go to that thing. Now you can walk away and the enemy will flee from you. There's freedom here for you. It's not to do whatever we want though. Hey, listen to what Dr. Carson says. He says, true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought to do. And it's genuine liberty because doing what we ought to do now is pleasing to us. In other words, 
when you find freedom in Jesus, it doesn't mean like, oh, you gotta, you know, it's gonna be a bummer because you gotta give up everything. All of a sudden, what you want to do will change. When you abide in the word, what you desire, what you hope for, all the plans and goals, all of that begins to shift into God's plans for your life. And all of a sudden, what you want to do is what he wants to do. And you're gonna love it because you know this is the best thing for you. This text should cause some of us, though, to pause and examine because it's crucial for what's coming. It's crucial for what's coming. Jesus will illustrate this teaching in, a, in the next chapter with a magnificent miracle, and it shows us what he's truly after. The religious leaders are blind here. Why are they blind, though? It's because they think they can see. They're blind. They don't see this because they think they know everything. We don't, we don't need you to be the Messiah because we already know what the Messiah is going to look like. He's going to do this, this, and this. He's going to take over Rome. He's going to be a military leader, yada, yada, yada. Jesus shows up and doesn't do any of that stuff. And he's like, well, he can't be the Messiah. They think they know everything. And because of that, they are blind. But for those who are like, I have nothing. I don't have it together. I don't, I don't pray out loud in the courtyard like the teachers do. Like, I'm not the best at anything. Like, I'm not a good person, yada, yada. It's those people who look at Jesus and say, I know all of that. I know how broken I am. That's what I know. And it's those people who started to see that he is the way to sight. He is the way to truth. He is the way to life and freedom. And I don't want you to get into some like legalistic thing as you walk out of here today. It's like, man, now like I got to make sure that I'm a follower of Jesus. So if I don't like, if I miss a day on my Bible reading plan, good grief, like I'm not a believer. I don't want you to get locked into that. And so I, I found this quote. I think it's helpful for all of us. It says, we could think I'm a failure if I miss a single devotional time. If I don't do my Bible study today, God's not going to be happy with me. A real Christian wouldn't struggle with having to read her, his or her Bible. And that is not all what Jesus is preaching in this passage. Jesus is saying our hope and path to freedom lies in his death and resurrection. Lies in his death and resurrection. Our hope is not found in ourselves and our own abilities, right? And our ability to perfectly fulfill a list of Bible reading requirements, that's not where our hope is found. Our position in Christ is not rooted in our capacity to mark off spiritual boxes. It's not. To turn in our spiritual discipline checklist. If we have turned from our sin, which is repentance, and we have turned to Christ, then God will do that work in you. God will do that work in us. He will create in us a growing desire for his word. He will give us the strength to say, no to our lazy flesh and be diligent in our study of the scripture. That doesn't mean we will never have dry spells. We know that and difficulty, but it does mean that over the long haul, God will work in us, giving us the desire to hold on to his word, the ability to see Christ in it and the freedom that comes from it. And so as we close today, I want to set up three types of people in this room as we listen. I know you're like, three, 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 seven, three, three, three. What is going on here? Listen, I got Southern Baptist roots, so hold on. Three types of people. There's the Pharisee, right? The arrogant that thinks they're good. I don't need this. I live a pretty dang good life. I don't need this teaching. 
And what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and he's saying to you right now is if you believe that, you are going to miss the goodness and the freedom that I have for you. It's right here. Look at my stat sheet. I'm the light of the world. Do not miss it. Don't look away. Don't miss it because of your lack of humility. There's the arrogant one who thinks that they're healthy and Jesus says to them, they are blind. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would experience that blindness and you would for the first time maybe say, I think I am blind. And that God for the, for the first time in your life would show you how broken you truly are, how messed up you truly are. It happened to me. It happened to many of us in this room. It doesn't mean you're bad. It means you're human. And there's good news for you. There's good news for you in the gospel that Jesus died and was resurrected so that you don't have to die because that's what you deserve. We were, man, about to baptize my son in a few minutes. And one of the most profound things he says, he's like, all of us are guilty of sin. And I saw that. All of us. And yet Jesus saved me. He rescued me. So we have the arrogant one that knows they're healthy. We have the humble one who knows that they're sick. The humble person who knows that they're ill, that they're broken, that they need something. They need rescue. They need hope. They need life. And my prayer for you is that for the first time, Jesus would look you in the eye and the Holy Spirit would wash your heart clean and you would join in this family. Like the four that we're about to baptize have done. They see it. They were humble enough to recognize that they are not okay without him, that they are not okay without Jesus. And the last category in this room, and man, this is the one that just jacks me up every week, is the thankful person who knows that they've been rescued. The reaction to our rescue, the reaction to the gospel is thankfulness. And that looks many ways. And this morning, it looks like us singing with everything in our guts that Jesus is Lord, that he won't fail, that he's good. Everything in your bones screams that out of the thankfulness of your heart because you know how broken you were. You know how deep in that ditch you were. You know how deep down in that mud you were. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm going to pick you up out of all that. I'm going to wash you in my blood and I'm going to make you my brother and sister. Yes. He did that for us. And so the response is thankfulness and worship and praise and following him. And as this text says, abide persevere, rest, continue, find truth, find freedom. That's your life until glory when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's time to rest. Man, that's good. So as we close this morning and we move into communion, church, we have four people taking communion with us, four new people. Praise God. As we move into this time, like, I pray that the Spirit would reveal to you who you are. That, that you would see and hear Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And if that is you and you are hearing that for the first time and you're like, man, I feel in the dark. I pray that you hear the light of the world and, and that you experience his loving kindness for you this morning. And if you're humble enough to see that, I pray that this morning you would experience salvation. 
And if that's you, man, let's get you on the next sign up and get you in this water. We want to celebrate with you what God's done in your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, a faithful disciple, this morning is a party. It's a party. Let's celebrate together and worship and praise. I love you guys with all my heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the saving power of the gospel. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. As we worship and baptize this morning, let us all see and be reminded of your goodness, of your faithfulness. And we can be faithful to you because you were faithful to us. We can die to our sins and experience freedom in our sins because you freed us. So God, I pray for the hearts in the room today. If there's anyone who needs you, anyone who's hurting, anyone who's broken, anyone who's at their end, let them not sit quietly, but come and get ministry. Today can be the day of salvation. Father, we know that you hold all of your words together, that you don't fail and that you aren't failing. Your plans will succeed even in the midst of what looks like to be a hopeless time. We know that you will succeed. And so God, as we leave these doors this morning and go into our homes and our work and all of those places, assure us once again of our salvation, assure us of our mission here to share the good news and make disciples and let us go as a free people who have seen the light of Jesus and are saved. God, we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen.